Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. President Joe Biden has made his first major foreign policy decision, and while it is not focused on the Middle East, but rather on a region adjacent to it, the regional implications are evident. In ordering all American forces out of Afghanistan by September 11th, Biden laid out a rationale based on both ends and means. American attention must turn to China and to a lesser extent Russia, and by virtue of priorities, away from secondary spots including the Middle East. What is the signal to be received by Biden's audience from Tehran to Jerusalem to the capitals of NATO member states? Has the United States changed its perception of interests and challenges in our neighborhood? To analyze this topic, we're joined from elsewhere here in Jerusalem by Mr. Robert Silverman, who is a lecturer at Shalem College and a former president of the American Foreign Service Association. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Also joining Great. us from central Israel is Ambassador Dania Yalon, who is Israel's former Deputy Foreign Minister and Ambassador to the United States, as well as co-host of TV7's Middle East Review. Thank you for joining us as well. Thank you, Jonathan. And with me here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Thank you. Amir, give us a broader understanding on uh, this specific topic today. To what degree are we uh, in a position of concern with regard to the American administration's decision to opt out to a certain degree from prioritizing this region uh, and uh, shifting elsewhere eastward? So Joseph R. Biden uh, is 78 year old and he's a man in a hurry. Um, the uh, candidate called Sleepy Joe by his opponent only a few months ago is no uh, Rip Van Winkle, um, uh, or uh, in uh, Hebrew tradition, Choni Ameagel. In various cultures, you have someone who fell asleep for 100 years or 40 years, then walk up to find the world around him. Not so with Biden. Biden knows that um, in less than two years, he's going to have the midterm elections. The 50-50 makeup of the Senate may go against him, as usually happens um, to the ruling party in American politics. So he doesn't have a lot of time. And uh, he is going full speed ahead in domestic policies, as well as in his international agenda. And yes, the Afghanistan decision was one. Another is probably to have an agreement, no matter what, uh, with Iran on the uh, return to the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, improved or not, uh, this is uh, to be seen. He probably has something already by virtue of uh, clandestine intelligence channels. Um, He was part of the Obama administration when they started the secret contacts with Iran in Oman a couple of years before the 2015 um, agreement. So uh, it is reasonable to assume that he already has something up his sleeve. And as you said, um, if you have priorities, you also have somewhere down um, your ledger Uh, priorities which you cut off. They don't make the cut. And the Middle East seems to be one of them. 
Now, uh, it is no coincidence that up to now, neither Biden nor uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited the area, but instead they sent Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin to reassure the Israeli public that the American commitment to Israel's security is ironclad and that uh, the qualitative military edge will be retained because the last thing any American administration wants is to see an insecure Israel, which then takes out of defensive caution, aggressive action. So right now, it's a holding pattern regarding the Middle East and Israel in particular. Once you have a functioning Israeli government in place, you are going to see a more heated exchange regarding both Iran, Lebanon, and the Palestinians. Indeed. Well, I'd like to uh, bring two uh, uh, veterans of two separate uh, foreign services, uh, uh, Mr. Silverman and Ambassador Ayalon, both of whom have uh, quite uh, the, the uh, understanding of the current administration in light of uh, close contacts with the current officials at the helm uh, of the various uh, uh, secretaries. Uh, uh, I'd like to start with you, Mr. Uh, Silverman. To what degree do you see the current administration opting out from this region uh, in order to focus on the South China Sea, on China, and, and to a lesser extent on, also on Russia and the buildup uh, along uh, the Ukraine, uh, at the expense, of course, of its uh, partners in the region, in the Middle East, and Israel in particular? I agree with everything that Amir said, that uh, the prioritization is towards East Asia, and that has been a constant over the last few U.S. administrations. And yet, events always overtake the best laid plans. I'm reminded of, uh, if, you, if you don't mind me quoting a famous uh, Bolshevik, uh, Leon Trotsky, and paraphrasing Trotsky, who said, you may want to leave the revolution, but the revolution doesn't want to leave you. And so I think the U.S. may want to withdraw a bit from the Middle East, but I'm not sure the Middle East is ready to withdraw from the U.S. Uh, and uh, I think events here will, as they always do, whether it was the Bill Clinton administration or particularly the Obama administration and its pivot, its attempt to pivot towards East Asia, it will end up spending a lot of its time and energy and capital here in the Middle East because this is where a lot of the events that affect U.S. policy will be centered. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Iran. Uh, one of the messages I believe that the Secretary of Defense brought here was uh, we do want to coordinate very closely with Israel uh, on the military side with Iran. So we'll see what happens on the attempt to do negotiations there. But I wouldn't underestimate the importance of the Middle East, despite the fact that uh, it's always uh, an attempt to be pivoted away from it, nevertheless manages to be important. Ambassador Ayalon, your take on this? Well, Jonathan, uh, the long-term and traditional uh, historic view of the United States uh, about the Middle East is to try and bring it uh, up to par with the rest of the world in terms of uh, uh, democracy, rule of law, pluralism, and, of course, uh, a better and more uh, engaged uh, um, actor in uh, international commerce, not just uh, 
in uh, in the oil and the petrol uh, dollars uh, arena. Because of this uh, democratic vision, uh, U.S. has always uh, held uh, Israel as the highest team because Israel is the only democratic country in the Middle East, very compatible with the U.S. Uh, uh, system. But um, this is why uh, we can see that in uh, the speech President uh, Biden had, the first uh, speech on foreign policy about uh, three and a half weeks ago, uh, he did not mention the Middle East except one country, which is Israel, where he reiterated uh, the ironclad commitment of the United States to Israel's security. And this is because Israel is the only democracy here and he would like uh, Israel to be a model for others. But as for the immediate uh, future, what they would like to see is a stopgap. Uh, no infiltration and no spillover of terror uh, to other regions of the world, of course, most of which is uh, North America, and no proliferation of uh, weapons of mass destruction, and, and uh, to, uh, to make sure that uh, its rivals, whether it's uh, China right now on, um, on commerce, and on strategic pathways, or whether it's uh, Russia on military uh, interest and military bases, whether it's in Lebanon or Syria, uh, to keep them away. This is the main thing that uh, they would uh, focus at this point. So the U.S. right now is playing a defensive uh, game in the uh, in the region, in the Middle East, and not an offensive, and especially as they are not uh, very much in need of the petrol in uh, in the Gulf. And the other countries in the in the Middle East, this is what we see: a pivoting, as everyone here mentioned, to the east, and um, and most uh, the attention here is to some uh, very very um, I would say ad hoc specific issues: Iran, terror, proliferation, and pathways to make sure that the pathways here are open and are not taken over by either Russia or China. Indeed. Mr. Owen? Uh, Bob Silverman uh, mentioned uh, the possibility of uh, people in power being overtaken by events. You know, uh, it's the old OBE. Um, in uh, British parlance, OBE is officer of the British Empire, uh, sort of a knighthood. But OBE in Washington is overtaken uh, by events. Uh, and Biden uh, has been compared uh, lately when he came out with his infrastructure uh, plan to uh, both uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Lyndon Baines Johnson. Uh, the problem is these two presidents uh, who indeed have tried and to some extent uh, succeeded in transforming America started out with no notion of being drawn into wars. But FDR ended participating in World War II, and of course, Johnson uh, was drawn into Vietnam. Biden says that he wants to do away with forever wars. And one can see his point because throwing more and more uh, blood and money after what the United States did for the last 20 years in Afghanistan, 18 years in, in Iraq, um, there's no real point in it. And while his critics are quite uh, understandably saying, um, let's, uh, let's keep in uh, for, for a while, maybe it will turn out to the better, we can't uh, uh, cut and run. 
there is also no proof that just doing it uh, over and over again will succeed. So Biden is, is quite bold in take, taking this decision. May turn out that um, it was a mistake, but at least he has shown that he is a decision maker. And one should brace oneself to the possibility that even in the Middle East, he will not just try uh, to do something small on top of what his predecessors did, but break away with the past and try to go for the gold in the Arab-Israeli and especially Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Nevertheless, it seems like the Biden administration, and let's bring into the picture right now also the, the intelligence uh, threat assessment that was published earlier this month, uh, as well as the uh, Senate's Foreign Committee on Intelligence, which discussed specifically that with the five heads of the uh, different uh, intelligence uh, agencies in the United States, all of which were quite uh, hesitant on the decision-making with regard to their own administration. We, we saw specifically with, regarding, uh, with regard to uh, the decision to withdraw troops from Afghanistan, uh, all of the intelligence uh, officials who had to respond to a question with regard to this said wholeheartedly that this is going to diminish the United States' capacity to attain significant intelligence and diminish their capability of operating in the region. And uh, quite frankly, the moment this decision was made, the next meeting that the Afghan foreign minister made was with his Iranian counterpart discussing the future of Iran and Afghanistan together. Within that foreign uh, uh, threat assessment document, we saw four major threats, China, North Korea, Russia, and Iran. Iran receiving extensive uh, place within that threat assessment, something that indicates that the United States is very concerned about the Iranian activities, not only on the nuclear file, but more, but more notably on its malign activity throughout the region in countering American interests and saying so quite uh, uh, equivocally. Mr. Silverman, how do you see the Biden administration actually operating with such an assessment actually being ignored thus far to a, a big extent of, of uh, the first uh, several months of this administration being in office. I, I agree that uh, the uh, intelligence chiefs will, as our military, our professional military and our professional diplomats will tell you that there are real costs to the withdrawal from Afghanistan and they're not uh, hesitant to say so publicly. Um, and yet, that, that decision was extremely popular inside the U.S. Uh, in Republican and Democratic uh, polling, uh, both. So it, it was inevitable. And uh, I think the U.S. understands that there are costs. And, and yet the political consensus in the U.S. was it's time to do this and to defend our interests uh, militarily over the horizon from our other bases, but to be inside with thousands of forces inside Afghanistan, uh, those days are soon to be over. I would say this, thank you about mentioning the Iran threat. I do think they will make a good faith effort uh, and Iranians would be um, really uh, committing uh, professional um, suicide if they didn't take up the U.S. offer to rejoin the JCPOA. And I think the U.S. will make an attempt to... Uh, 
to negotiate. But there, as you said, Jonathan, there's no, there's a very clear-eyed assessment that Iran remains a major threat. Uh, we just saw, for instance, the Biden administration uh, reauthorized the sale of the stealth uh, U.S. aircraft to the UAE. So other than NATO and Israel, uh, the only other country in the world that is going to get access to the stealth uh, fighters, fighter bombers, is the UAE. And that is part of their uh, overall assessment that, you know, we want our countries, our friends and allies in the Gulf uh, also to have this capability. Why? Because of Iran. Uh, that's the enemy that, that would, those planes would be used against. So uh, I believe that there are opportunities here as well. You know, we, Danny and I, we both spoke about, you know, how the U.S. gets drawn in and uh, Amir mentioned, you know, overtaken by events. And that's true in a negative sense. So there's a positive sense to being overtaken by events when there is an opportunity. And the Middle East might present such an opportunity in the ever-expanding Abraham Accords that uh, the Trump administration bequeathed to this U.S. administration. If, for instance, the Biden team could somehow bring Saudi Arabia into this agreement in formal uh, normalization with Israel, so that would be a huge diplomatic achievement. Uh, they would be, uh, I believe, willing to expend a lot of energy and diplomatic resources, uh, maybe other resources, to achieve that. So, and And that would be in the context of uh, shoring up a regional alliance to uh, contain Iran. Uh, we just saw Saudi Arabia itself reaching out to Iran. Uh, they had meetings with Iran you know, brokered by Iraq last week in Iraq. So uh, the message the U.S. is getting is, is this Israel-Gulf relationship is a very positive thing. It may be an opportunity. Indeed. Ambassador Ayalon, I'd like to hear your take on this. And uh, to add to that, also uh, two points. One thing that seems to me quite apparent about uh, the Biden administration, unfortunately, uh, in my opinion, is the pursuit of popular decision making, which, uh, as also Mr. Silverman mentioned, the, the disengagement from Afghanistan in particular was very popular domestically, as well as the decision to, which was also, by the way, mentioned in the first foreign policy speech of President Joe Biden, was specifically about Yemen, the humanitarian uh, situation there, and uh, trying to end the war, which has caused, according to the Biden administration, uh, the most terrible humanitarian catastrophe uh, currently at play, even though Syria, in my opinion, is uh, far beyond that. Uh, but uh, specifically with that, it decided to revoke the designation of the Houthi uh, terror organization, in, uh, in the opinion of various uh, countries here in the region, uh, because it uh, was not as popular within the circles of the United Nations and other humanitarian bodies, even though this same organization was repeatedly striking Saudi Arabia, repeatedly striking and attacking, even kidnapping U.S. citizens uh, on several occasions. So uh, to what degree are all those decisions being made? Mr. Olin also mentioned uh, its uh, intention of the Biden administration to pursue the Palestinian file uh, uh, wholeheartedly. Obviously, that is a popular thing on the left aisle of uh, uh, domestic politics in the United States. Uh, how do you see all of this decision-making actually contributing to the interests of the United States rather than the popularity of uh, one party in the United States? 
Well, first off, let me say I, I do agree with Amir and so far uh, Biden himself, uh, almost single-handedly, has shown a lot of activism, uh, activity, uh, bold uh, decisions on a wide spectrum of issues, mostly domestic issues, but also uh, on uh, foreign, uh, foreign-related uh, as well. But when it comes to, to the Middle East, I'm not sure that he has turned into a higher gear yet. And it's manifested itself that uh, by the fact that um, no new ambassador uh, has been um, appointed nor confirmed uh, for, the, for the, uh, the, the region. So uh, at this point, uh, I do not see that the American foreign policy is really geared up to really um, chart uh, its uh, challenges, its uh, opportunities, uh, uh, and what to focus on, uh, except, of course, uh, what uh, immediately is uh, pressing. And first and foremost is uh, uh, Iran. Hence, we see the uh, Vienna, um, the Vienna talks, uh, where uh, we I understand that uh, the United States is very much uh, uh, would like to uh, start direct uh, negotiations with the Iranians. Right now, it's done only through uh, the good offices of uh, the, the Europeans, uh, mainly the three, uh, uh, Germany and uh, uh, UK and uh, and France. But uh, this is something that they are already have already resolved to go back to the JCPOA. Uh, I'm not sure that they are even, although they are trying to... Uh, LA, Israel is concerned, but I'm not sure that uh, once it's a feta complete and there is a resumption of the JCPOA, that they would do much or will they be able to uh, actually fine tune it and make it stronger in terms of verification, in terms of the extension of the sunset clauses and uh, many, many other uh, things. So this would be a great concern of uh, uh, to, for, for Israel. And uh, they, I think, would be uh, wise in Washington, uh, White House, uh, the National Security Council, and the State Department to really think up a, a plan. Because uh, the last thing they want to do, as uh, also Amir mentioned, is to have uh, Israel uh, very much concerned and very much uh, feeling uh, at the short end of uh, the, the Iranian deal. When it comes to other issues, um, they uh, the only one, uh, I would say, declaration or uh, a statement that they made is that Assad should go. By this, they go back to the uh, Obamas uh, in 2000, before 2015, which really uh, is going to have a, um, a uh, stumbling block for any arrangement uh, in Syria. So here I do not see also much thinking in a comprehensive way, how will that be related to stability in Iraq, to Turkey and the Syrian relations, to Lebanon and of course uh, Iran uh, and Israel. So in my mind, they are still uh, very much in a, um, in, a, uh, in a quandary and I do not see any direction and that leads me to uh, the other issue, of course, of great concern to the United States, has been uh, uh, always very focused on the, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And here also, I am not sure that they will have the wherewithal nor the inclination to really uh, put their hands right into the, the middle and try to push it uh, forward, as they have so many other things which are prior uh, to that. And also, I think that uh, uh, given the fact that there is no... Uh, 
stable government in Israel, no stable government whatsoever, division in the Palestinian camp, whether there will be elections there or not. So everything pretty much is on a hold, a, um, I would say, mode right now. And Iran, Iran, Iran is all what they uh, uh, can uh, do now. All the other things, as I mentioned, is uh, defensive, whether it's vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Gulf, the Houthis, and of course, the Israeli-Palestinian issue as well. Indeed. Mr. Oren, I'd like to ask you, you actually spoke about urgency, which I completely agree with you. There is an urgency in the Biden administration to get things done. They've been very active in trying to restore what was before the Trump administration. And uh, you've already mentioned several times on this panel and uh, also on your own program here on TV7 that uh, the Biden administration under U.S. President uh, Joe Biden is probably going to be a one-term presidency because of his age, uh, and he may become fatigued for a second term. Uh, keeping that in mind, it seems like uh, beyond, uh, of course, improving the transatlantic alliance between the United States and uh, the uh, uh, European Union, the, the various countries in Europe, and uh, the United Kingdom uh, uh, separately, uh, there are plenty of challenges that he is trying to rush into uh, rather than making calculated decisions and moving in a calculated manner into various aspects of uh, American foreign policy, which would be best in interest of the United States. Shortly, how do, you, how do you see that actually evolve in the near future? And what should we focus on, our viewers, uh, with regard to U.S. foreign policy in the near future. So regarding your first point, uh, this is why he makes a point of uh, calling it the Biden-Harris administration. Uh, she is being groomed to take over, if necessary, um, whether uh, in midterm, uh, if uh, something happens uh, to his health, or perhaps as the candidate in 2024. We don't know whether Donald Trump will be back, whether any other Republican politician will emerge uh, from the field. But right now, it seems as if her uh, policies and politics are quite similar to his, perhaps with an accent uh, more towards the uh, so-called progressive wing of the uh, Democratic Party. So yes, it's frustrating that uh, his intention to hurry up uh, clashes with the region's intention to slow things up. Because of what Daniel Elon said, the uh, uh, Palestinian problem, the Israeli problem, the uh, elections in Iran, and so on and so forth. Indeed, well, of course, this topic we'll have to revisit as it has plenty of implications also for uh, the state of Israel and the security of Jerusalem. But uh, this is all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank Ambassador Ayalon, Mr. Silverman, as well as Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.